this thing on? Cool. Hi, and welcome to the next episode of Uncultured, the podcast. I'm your host, Kripa, here to add a little bit of colour to your weeks. This week's guest is Tasnova Khan, Bangladeshi fashion designer, law student and young wife. On today's episode, she is open and vulnerable and tells us all about the trials and tribulations that come with marriage and moving in with your in-laws during COVID at its peak and lockdown. I'm really excited for this one. So see you on the other side. Tasnova. Is that how I say it? Yes, that's exactly how you Amazing. say it. Her name is Tasnova, which is also, by the way, the coolest name ever. Thank you, but I've definitely grown up hating my name. Really? Yes. Tell me about it. Well, first of all, I moved to Australia when I was 10 to a country town called Dubbo. And you can imagine it was a very wide predominant community. And with a name like Tasnova comes with a lot of mockery, like Red Rover, Cross Rover, Pavlova. But now that I've all grown up, I have accepted my name more. And I like to introduce myself as Tasnova. And I love it when people get my name correct, like you did. Oh, honestly, it it sounds like Supernova. It sounds like something from outer space. I love it. Also, I have another name that my family calls me by and people who are really close to me and my best friends they call me my name is Joytha if my friends come over and my dad's like Joytha and my friends are like who how do you feel about people pronouncing your name wrong I think I've gotten used to it it's not that hard Tasnova it's not a very difficult thing to pronounce it has like what two syllables in it Tas no sorry three (laughs) three syllables in it Tasnova it also hurts because it's my identity it's my name and like if that's like the you know, the bare minimum you can do is get correct is the name. When someone says it incorrectly, I am inclined to correct them. I didn't used to before. I never corrected anyone before. But now being a bit more of an adult and understanding everything, I like correcting people. And I and it's important to get someone's name correct because that's your identity. I wanted to rewind back to when you were born and you did mention that you grew up in Bangladesh and you moved here 15 years ago is what you said. So can you tell me a little bit about that, your background and what brought you here? So I was born in Bangladesh in Dhaka City in 1996, seems like a long time ago. I lived with my grandparents, so my mum was very young when she got married. She still had her studies to finish, so my grandparents took me in. Growing up, my grandma was my mum, and I never actually lived with my parents until we moved to Australia. I always had that independence growing up, um, having my own room to kind of do whatever the hell I want. Maybe a month, two months prior. Prior to our move, I started living with my parents and I never really thought much of it. The time started coming where I started realizing that the move was for my better education, a better life for me. That was probably the biggest change in my life. I was such an emotional kid. I couldn't stand being away from my grandma. So my grandma would, through the window, hold my hand in class so I would stop crying. That's how bad I was in terms of, like, separation. It's also kind of beautiful. Yeah, and (laughs) when I think about it, like, wow, this woman would just wait all day for me, holding my hand through the window. Anyway, so we moved to Australia and it was just the biggest change. I, I think I developed this 
separation anxiety. Obviously, as a 10-year-old, I don't know what anxiety is or what separation anxiety or like all that is. Now that I am grown up, I understand where this kind of stemmed from. Did you say that you were religious? Growing up, I always saw my grandma pray five times a day, do Ramadan and whatnot. And I like to believe that if my grandma is someone who has prayed for me from way before I was born, those prayers mean something. And if her belief is standing on the prayer mat, praying to Allah, I have to have some sort of belief in that. And I always grew up with that mentality that, okay, I'm still young. I don't have to exercise religion as much as she does or as much as my parents do. But in the future, that's going to be something that I want to embrace because here's this woman who's prayed for me for God knows how long. But it wasn't until maybe when I was 18, 19 that I was like, okay, it's time for me to actually practice my religion. And I'm not a good Muslim. I have a lot to learn and I have a long way to go. But Yes, I do believe. And I think something that a lot of people may not necessarily understand, especially as first-gen South Asian people, there is so much connection between religion and culture. And so even if you're not religious, there are so many cultural aspects of your religion that you will connect to and not necessarily the spiritual aspects. And I think everyone is should be free to pick and choose the aspects that they connect with the best. And no one is any better a Hindu or any better a Muslim because they connect to different parts of the religion that make their lifestyle better. Exactly. Like, everyone has something they believe in. My parents have never, like, just tried to, like, force me to pray, force me to fast. But the expectation has been there. Whether I meet that expectations, they left that to me. And I, and I love that. And I feel like that's how it should be for anyone. Tasnova, you mentioned that you have a husband. I'm so curious to hear about that. So you are 25? Yes, I'm 25. So we're both born in Bangladesh with his family, moved to New Zealand when he was six and I moved to Australia when I was 10. And we have an age gap of nine years. How did you guys meet? Okay, so we met in the most weirdest way that someone could meet someone. First of all, I went to school with his sister. He would pick us up from school and drop me home or like take us to her house. And it's so weird when I think about it. I never thought of him obviously as like someone that I'm going to end up being married to. So that's how I first met him. And I never spoke to him, I don't think, ever until I went to university. And I used to have a radio show called The Breakfast Show. And I had him on Facebook during that time. And I remember going live and he would like comment. Just He would he messaged me separately and be like, you should talk about this. You should talk about that. I'm like, who are you? And why are you giving me your two cents to tell me what I should talk about? So I kind of ignored that at that time. And um, this was, I think, my birthday is on the 2nd of January and around 3 in the morning, my phone started ringing and I got excited. No one calls me. So I looked at my phone and I see my husband's name pop up. Why the hell is this guy calling me at 3 in the morning? So I picked up the phone and I have no idea why he called me. And I couldn't tell you what we spoke about, but I suddenly felt this inner peace come out of me and I just felt, I felt calm and we spoke for like three, four hours. I have I don't remember what we spoke about at all. And I remember falling asleep on the phone to him. 
And then in the morning I woke up, I'm like, did I dream that? Did my friend's brother actually call me? Like, did I actually just have a con- like a big conversation with him? And yeah, that's where it all started. We were really good friends for like two, three months. And then he asked me to be his girlfriend. And then I was like, no, I can't be your girlfriend. I'm sorry. You have to run it past your sister first. So I think he went and had that conversation with her. And then I, I told him, maybe you can try asking me out in like another month or so. And then he did. And then I said, yes, we were dating for two years and then we got married. Um, Tell me a bit more about your wedding. So you got married. You're both from the same background, same culture, same religion. You were quite young. And what was your proposal like? Yes, I'm 25 and I got married to my husband in 2019 during like the bushfires. I actually had no idea when he was going to propose to me, but I knew, okay, I I don't know if any other um, women or girls do this, but. I had a feeling that he was going to propose. So I went snooping in his closet. (laughs) I went snooping in his closet. Like he he went into the shower and I was like, okay, this is my time. This is my time to go have a little snoop. And he's not a very organized person. So it has to be somewhere in the mess. I stood there and I opened the box and I was like, ah. Did you still act surprised when he pulled the ring out and proposed? Oh my God. That's another story. So he took me to horse riding. Yep horse riding and I am not a I am not a horse rider like I'm not interested (laughs) in horses and I was getting so annoyed like because he wouldn't tell me he he told me like 10 minutes (laughs) that's my favorite line I'm not interested in horses I'm not interested I'm sorry like in in the two years in our relationship when have you ever heard me say babe please take me on a horse like let's go on a ride like what is wrong with you so I was expecting I don't know roses champagne candles the works but then here I am behind his horse and I just have to see all this shit come out every two minutes oh anyway so we got at the end of our trail the our tour guide she was like oh you guys can get off here now and there's a waterfall it's like a five minute walk I could hear music and I could hear the waterfall we were walking towards the waterfall and it was a beautiful setup there was like a picnic setup And it was worth this stupid ass horse ride to get to this beautiful setting. He goes down on one knee and he opens the box and it's empty. And actually, he actually said, don't get angry. I lost the ring. But will you please marry me? And I'm just looking at him like, are you serious right now? This is all this for this. When did you lose the ring? Like, I was just worried about the ring at that stage. I completely disregarded his effort for the proposal itself. Then a few couple months later after our wedding, I found the ring in his oh my God. in his closet. That would have been so frustrating for the poor guy. So tell me about your life after marriage when you moved in with your in-laws, you mentioned. Yes. So initially the plan was we get married and we go on a honeymoon for a couple months, travel Europe and then come back and we get our own place. But that's when COVID was like starting. We were living in my in my in-laws house, something that we actually didn't have a conversation about because because of lack of communication between us. I thought that you know, we will stay with them and then we'll start looking for a new place. But because of the lockdown, his business had a stall because he works out of Bangladesh mostly. It's not something I want to bring up now because I understand our situation. So I started living with them and it was fine. And I think at some point, maybe like a month into our lockdown, when it was getting super serious and people were, there was lots of cases in Sydney and in Australia, I started getting very like, 
anxious about the whole situation. And I really missed my mom. It was just so foreign to me. And even though prior to our, us getting married, I was close to his family. I would attend dinners and, you know, have that consistency. But living together is a whole new ball game, yeah. I can imagine. It was like I'm very blessed to have really good in-laws. Living with in-laws is just a completely different world. There are nuances with every household exactly. and I think that's that's kind of the hard thing when I hear you talk about living with your in-laws and I think moving in with people where they've got established boundaries, they own the things in the house, they own the house. It's hard to make a life for yourself because exactly. you're a guest. Exactly and that's, that's what I felt like. I felt like a guest in that house and even though the the efforts were there from everyone in the household to make me feel like a family member so it's so this conversation moving forward has really nothing to do with my in-laws they're great people it's just me and my experiences from moving from my house to this house it's also difficult living with your own parents so we have all we all have our moments where Many times I've just couldn't wait to move out from my parents' house because I just can't wait to move on, have my own life. And then, you know, this getting married, what interested me most in this, the idea of getting married is that, okay, I'm about to start my own life. And that was quickly demolished when I understood that this me living with his parents and his family for longer than I expected and it's not something I could wrap my head around. I think when it's your own parents you can argue and you can put your foot down and you can kind of be as you know aggressive or harsh as you want to because they know your context you know their context you're so close exactly but you need to maintain that level of respect and boundary exactly and my baba always says that everything it's a two-way street so always be respectful but always also like if you think you're not being respected stand your ground to practice that in the situation of living with in-laws or living with his family is completely different I have to represent my family as well you know it's I'm not just suddenly like left my parents and I'm just a new member of this family it doesn't work like that even years can go by and I will probably not fit in properly I feel like it's almost unique to South Asian culture where of course you know how they say oh it's not just you marrying him it's the family marrying that family and so every move you make will have some implication on your parents it's not like I had all these expectations over my head like do this clean the house cook like my mother-in-law and my father-in-law would cook all the time but obviously I have my own obligation to provide my energy or like my my input into this family because I don't want to be like a guest but days went by and I started to doubt myself and I started to kind of isolate myself and put up my walls you know sometimes as all of us being human beings sometimes you want to wake up you don't want to deal with anyone you don't want to see anyone you just want to like lounge around and do nothing that's something I felt like I didn't, I couldn't find my, I couldn't find the balance to have for myself. Because of lockdown, we're all at home and my husband, he would wake up at like 3, 4 p.m. And I just felt really lonely in the morning. So this sense of, I didn't feel supported by my husband. Sad to say it, but I didn't feel supported in the way that we nearly married. Like, don't, like you used to make an effort when we were dating, you would come to my house. Don't, I don't want that effort to just, 
disappear because we've signed some paper that says we're bound by contract or whatnot. So I was getting really good at laying around doing nothing and it's not productive. It's locked down and I know there's not a, not a lot to do, but just having that company, you know, waking up together, having breakfast together, that was something that I was looking forward to. I know it wasn't going to happen to the extent as it would if we were living independently by ourselves. I don't think he really thought, my husband didn't really think this through and Okay, I hate to say this. He didn't make an effort to kind of make my transition into the house smooth. He didn't make that effort. If I had a son and he got married and his wife was going to move in with us, I'm absolutely fine with that. But, you know, she's going to feel left. She's, it's, it's no matter how long you've known her from beforehand, what kind of relationship you've already built with her, it's still going to be difficult. And I don't think he recognized that in myself because he saw me being very close to his family. So everything's fine. There's nothing to, you know, kind of change around. So he gave me a drawer, a drawer to initially put my one clothes. One drawer for all your one clothes. One drawer. Like it was kind of a shock in the sense that he didn't pull his socks up in the sense that, you know, I'm going to have this girl live with me full time. She's going to need her own space. Did you ever have a conversation with him about not having your own space or not feeling like you were supported in your transition? Um, Yeah, I did. I definitely had this conversation and I was probably fully teary-eyed and overwhelmed with confusion. Like, you're my best friend. You're supposed to know me. And it's nothing to, like, it's your responsibility to make me feel like my transition here is smooth. And you didn't do that. And I told him this. I remember telling him this in the car, like, I have a drawer in your room. Like, what the hell am I going to do with that? And then I think his mom realized that I need space. So she has two walk-in wardrobes in her room. So yeah, we swapped rooms with his parents and I didn't want that. It was definitely the lockdown and me moving, moving away from my parents. I started to really go down in this deep hole. If people came over, you know, everyone wants to meet the, meet the new bride. Everyone wants to see like the, uh, the new newly married couple. And I was such an anxious person and I have like all this anxiety in me. I didn't want to see anyone. What do I talk to them about? I don't know them. And, you know, they see women, they have lots of, aunties have lots of questions. The thing is, in the context of being a new bride and they have all these questions, I don't know where to start. And I think that's that's what made me super anxious. I just dreaded if someone came over. And my, my in-laws are very social people and so are my parents. So there were always people coming and, you know, bringing gifts and whatnot. There's just a lot of pressure from other families, especially if you're not predisposed to having that rapport and conversation with people you don't know. Exactly. I think not everyone is predisposed to be able to be comfortable with new people. It was just the interactions that I have had to have with people. I just didn't know where to start. What do I say? And like, if people are coming over in the day, my husband's still sleeping. So it's just me thrown into the deep end with people I've not, people I've not met before. Maybe I came across as very shy and quiet. And that's how I kind of started losing my, my identity. I feel like I kind of started losing myself. I started asking myself, why am I being like this? Coming up after the break, Tasnova goes into the deep, dark hole that led to the loss of her identity, things that caused her to lose her identity 
and what her plans are when her husband returns to Sydney. Stay tuned. Tasnova, to set the scene, it is peak COVID, you're on lockdown, you've just gotten married, and you're now in a totally new environment. Can you tell me how that manifested? I don't think anyone wants to move in with their in-laws. That being said, my in-laws are great, and they're amazing. They love me a lot. Maybe it's my fault for not communicating these things that I was experiencing, and I was just holding it in, and that really made this negative bubble around me. And plus, I didn't have the emotional privacy as I would in my own house to kind of deal with my emotions. And though me and my husband didn't really fight that much in the eight months, every time we did did have an argument, I didn't feel like I could be as vocal as I normally would if we were fighting, I don't know, at a party or like somewhere else. I was always exercising discretion and I wasn't fully expressing my anger or my emotions to him. I had nowhere to go because I know if my parents look at me from a mile away, they would know that something's wrong. And it was getting to the point where this emotional privacy was such a big deal. It was getting to the point where I didn't even want my parents to come over because I wanted to be that perfect daughter-in-law where like if my uh, in-laws speak to my parents, they can say that, yeah, she's she's fine. And that was very, I love my mom. Like I'm so close to my parents and for me to avoid them and even my grandma is living with them at the moment and not seeing them for that long, it just destroyed me. Me not dealing with those emotions, I was bound to like burst. And my moment of bursting would be me you know, driving, just, it's lockdown, where am I going to go? Just driving around and crying in the car and then coming home with like puffy eyes. And At the beginning of your lockdown and moving away from your parents after marriage, you had some separation anxiety. You were missing your parents pretty much. And that transformed into you avoiding your parents suddenly because you were protecting them from being worried. Can you explain where that separation anxiety stems from? So my separation anxiety, um, I want to say for anyone listening that I've actually been diagnosed with anxiety, clinically diagnosed and depression, and it's not just in my head, which I used to really think that it's all in my head, but, you know, I've been diagnosed with this. And my separation anxiety definitely stems from the fact that 15 years ago, a little girl had to move to Australia and she had to leave behind her grandparents who were literally her whole life and just kind of start start new again and I felt like that the same way that I felt when I moved from Bangladesh to Australia moving from my parents house to my in-laws house I felt the same thing I it was like happening all over again that even though they're 10 minutes away easily accessible I was pushing them away and I was kind of developing more of this separation even though I know this is what I'm dealing with I can't live without my parents and I I can't live without without my family the good thing to do there would have been to go into them you know being around them, if that makes sense. I don't think you should blame yourself either. I know it's easy to in scenarios like this, but if you really think about it, you're young, you're thrust into this unfamiliar situation, you have the experiences that you have and your mind and body is going to respond in the way that it's tuned to, especially given the experiences that you've had 
growing up. Exactly. And it wasn't until wasn't until Ramadan came about last year where I actually started feeling like a family like when I say that I mean we were having iftar together and I would cook one day and my sister-in-law would cook the next day and we would sit and that's what I was craving from the beginning so for those of you who don't know what Ramadan is it's a holy month in our um, Islamic calendar where we fast from sunrise to sunset Um, it's not about just giving up food or not not drinking water it's more to that I like to believe it helps you develop patience it helps you have a sense of belonging to a community it's also just about being grateful for the things you have even after fasting a whole day you get to sit with your family share a meal and a lot of people cannot do that so it's also a big month of charity and iftar is the first meal you have after fasting I was kind of comparing to my family and my in-laws like this is the first thing that I can relate to Tasnova, so when you did reach out to your parents, what was the advice that was given to you? Because I can't imagine this is an easy situation for parents to navigate when their daughter is going through something like this and living so close to them. My mom always says, just get over it. So she's never lived with her in-laws, so she never could really give me the advice or the words that I was seeking. But I know in her good way, she would always say, just just smile through it. It's hard to blame her because I do think that it's a very general mindset that a lot of South Asian women have. Compromise as much as possible and make sure that the other person is happy, even if you're unhappy. I just can never wrap my head around that because I'm not the only person in this marriage. There's two people. I want to ask people, like, as a male, what are your thoughts about moving in with my parents like is that something is that something you consider and I have spoken about this to a lot of a lot of my male friends who have wives and and they've had to move in with their in-laws for a little bit if not the whole time that would you ever consider living with her parents and you know the common answer that I get is fuck no not just with my South Asian friends but it's also with my white friends when we have this conversation it's it was no way am I living with anyone else's parents and that's the kind of mentality like females have too like if I have to live with anyone's parents it's gonna be my own so it's this compromise that women are making all the time and they're not getting recognized for it but instead getting bashed for it if you're not the picture-perfect daughter-in-law Tasnova, can you tell me that deep, deep hole that you got into after losing your identity and your sense of self? Can you expand on that? Can you tell me how that manifested in your daily life? Sure. So me losing my identity, there, there were many aspects to it. So one of the main thing was my mother-in-law, she, she's a makeup artist and a, she's a hairstylist. She, she does have a full-time job, but she, it's something she does on the side. And she always wanted to dress me. You know, I'm not going to say no to her. You know, that's very sweet of you that you want to dress me up and stuff. You know, the clothes that you wear are the most closest around you. And I felt like that was something that I couldn't hold on to. I was, I was just 
not myself. So I was there. I was never there in presence, not even in clothes I was wearing. I didn't feel like that was something I could express myself in. I think expressing yourself in your clothing can be so important, so visual and can tell you so much about a person. Exactly. And it was important to me to at least hold on to some sort of identity because my style compared to her style obviously is different. Like... I don't think anyone can have the same style as their mom. So these were the little things that where I kind of lost a sense of self. My name is Tesnova, but Tesnova is like my friends, like white people call me Tesnova, right? So like my family or my relatives and stuff, they call me Joytha. So his family was the first Bengali family that actually started using my name as Tesnova. I've never heard that name so much in like a Bengali setting or like a family setting. So that was also another thing that I was kind of like slipping away from like, wow, I don't, nobody even calls me Joyta anymore in this house because that's the name I was known as in my, in my house. And I don't know why I would just, I would go to bed and it, it would just be so deep, like, okay, I've lost my name. No one calls me Joytha anymore. I've lost my name. I can't wear the clothes that I want. I have to entertain guests mostly alone sometimes without the presence of my husband. Where is this going? Like, what am I doing? I really did question my marriage a lot. So when you came to all these realizations that your life wasn't heading in the direction that you wanted it to head in, where did it reach its point? Where was the line that you wanted to set as a boundary and how did it all kind of resolve? Okay, so I think the peak of my deep hole of feeling what I've been feeling was I think my husband, he was planning to go to Bangladesh. It was just, it was mid-COVID, like this is peak COVID in Bangladesh, especially in Bangladesh, we're lucky here, but like over there it was just, we weren't allowed to travel so he had to apply to leave the country, which he got approved within an hour. So like, I feel like my life kind of just, like he was talking about going because he had to do work and then suddenly... Two days before he actually left, that's when it got confirmed that he was leaving. And I remember, you're the only thing that I'm holding on to. You're the only reason I'm I'm here giving this regardless of whatever I'm experiencing a go. And I know that I'm s- struggling now to to be here but I know eventually that's going to pay off and we're going to move on and we're going to have our own life. But when he was gonna leave I think two days before I I just couldn't stop crying and I literally begged him don't go please don't go or at least take me with you and he was like babe I can't take you with me now but you can come in a couple of months how and how bad does how weird does it look that I'm gonna go move in live with my parents again without him there visibly it's hard to be motivated to push through exactly 100% and I know even though like he wasn't as supportive as I would like him to be. But his presence, that's what made it better. And you're in love with him. Exactly. I mean, I love him and I'm going to try and do everything that I can to be with him and to make sure that I have a great relationship with his parents and his family. And the reason behind that is because I love him. It's because I married him. Maybe not now, but I hope maybe he can see that I tried. I tried my best to live with him. It's not like... 
when I when he left and I moved back with my parents that it got better it didn't get better because then it was another thing I was dealing with the separation between him and I so it just it's just a never-ending cycle that I've had to deal with all this separation first from my parents moving in with my in-laws then living there and not having the best experiences mentally and emotionally and you know when you get married you have this set of expectations that how your life's gonna be how your marriage is gonna be it's not I thought it was going to be like romantic dates every night. Just forgiving people, forgiving myself firstly, has been a big relief. Forgiving myself because I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect and no matter how hard I try to be a perfect daughter-in-law, a perfect wife, a perfect daughter, it's not going to happen. So forgiving myself first that maybe in situation where I thought maybe I could have represented my husband better or my family better and I lacked because maybe I didn't speak as much or I spoke too much just forgiving myself and then forgiving anyone around me and just forgiving everyone whoever's like if you're Christian or Muslim Hindu whatever if you believe in anything just know that whatever you whatever you've done in life you've someone has forgiven you for something I want to be able to share this experience as like you know other people go through it too and it wasn't until I moved back to my parents and I was talking to other women who is also married and had to live with their in-laws that they felt the same thing and it's never to do with having bad in-laws or not and I'm lucky it wasn't that but whatever it was it was still very real whatever I felt it was still very real it may not have been in the extreme that other women have have experienced but that doesn't make my experience any less even though it was very mental and emotional. Tasnova, I think that's all we have time for. I did want to thank you for sharing your story. I've been in a complete trance listening to you and I hope that this is going to help someone out there because I think it will. And I hope so. And what has helped me is definitely talking to my life coach. And I know that in our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation, it's a very taboo thing to see a therapist or whatnot, but... If you can, and we ha- we're so lucky to have resources here that help us get, um, meet those needs, please talk to someone. If you can't talk to your parents or your friends, talk to, talk to someone who will listen. I think we also get 20 free sessions under the new COVID laws. So you just have to talk to your GP about a mental health care plan and you're sorted. And amongst all of this, you are also launching a fashion label. So if you enjoyed Tasnova's episode and want to support a small business run by a powerhouse Bangladeshi woman, where can they find you? I am launching my brand. It's called They See Me Up, kind of like Dress Me Up, but in Desi clothes. So that's where They See Me Up comes from. You can follow me on theysemeup.tm and keep an eye out for my posts. My brand is very traditional. I love to showcase my love for my country and their artisans. We have extreme extreme talented artisans in Bangladesh and in India who have helped me create some things that I'm very proud of and it's also helped them simultaneously in these tough times give them little jobs and hope for the future so please do check it out Thanks again, Tasnova, for coming on the show. I know that so many people are going to get so much from this episode. Thank you. You can follow me on Uncultured Pod on Instagram. You can also share this episode with your friends and follow us on Spotify. That would mean the world to me. And I think that's it. Thanks for joining us and see you next week. Bye.